Welcome to Litigation Strategies, the podcast that discusses all things litigation, from filing a small claims lawsuit to closing arguments in a murder trial. We dive into handling a case from beginning to the end. Your co-hosts are Daniel Coble and myself, Joe Berry, former assistant solicitors for the Fifth Judicial Circuit and currently in private practice. We're pleased to have you with us, and now, this episode of Litigation Strategies. Welcome to Litigation Strategies. My name is Daniel Coble, and with me as always is our co-host Joe Barry. And today we have a very special episode. We are joined by three guests who are members of the South Carolina Dispute Resolution Section. Today we are talking about all things mediation, alternative dispute resolution, the ins and outs, the, the good, the bad, the ugly. And we got our guests, we're very excited because they have more experience, not only as lawyers generally, but mediation uh, specifically. And I think they've been practicing before Joe and I were even born. So we're very excited to, to hear what they have to say, to, to talk about mediation, to give us an insight. And just briefly, I could spend the whole episode going over their background, but I just want to give a brief introduction of our three guests. We have Kevin Barth, who's a partner at Barth, Ballinger & Lewis graduated from Clemson University in 1979, followed by USC Law in 82. He is a certified civil and family arbitrator and mediator. We have Yolanda Curry, who graduated from USC in 1980, followed by USC Law in 84. She is a certified circuit court mediator and focuses on mediation throughout the state at Corey Mediation. Uh, we have Judge Jim Brogdon, who graduated from Walford College, then USC Law in 1977. He was a circuit court judge from 1996 until 2005. He focused on complex injury and business litigation at Whetstone, Perkins, and Fulda. Well, thank you, everybody, for being here today. We're excited to talk about this. And my co-host, Joe Barry, I think I'm going to let him lead off. I know he has a lot of questions and a lot yes. of, of issues thank to talk you, about. Thank you, Daniel, and, and thanks again to our guests today. I, I will co-sign the uh, assertion that they know uh, – a lot more than, than Daniel and a lot more, particularly about mediation, which is uh, the focus today in ADR week for the SC bar here. And I, I want to start off to, to all three of you um, just looking for your insights about what makes for effective tactics. What do you like to see lawyers do in mediations? I'll ask you what you, you don't like them to do later, but, but I guess start with Yolanda. What, what makes for effective mediation at the circuit court in your mind? Being prepared and having the information to the mediator ahead of time always helps. Generally, I like to at least have a conversation with the attorneys at least a few days before the mediation actually occurs. And some, you know, it's probably 50-50, but when I get a good pre-mediation report, that kind of puts you in the know already before you show up on the day of the mediation. I don't want to go too much into it, I guess, but that's what we're here for. So a, a good mediation report. Do you, do you have a page length limit? What's what's What do you like in a good mediation submission? I, I always want to write too much. I got to trim it down. I, I, Keith, my, our senior partner here, always tells me cut that thing in half or it's, it's always too long. But what, what do you like to see in a mediation submission? Conciseness is good, but a lot of information is also helpful. In a case where there's personal injury, you want to know all about the the medical expenses, what, you know, what future medicals there may be. In other cases, other damages, just that information is pretty helpful. Theories of the case, if there's anything new or different as far as the law, that helps, you know, to have the research done. 
So I'm probably talking too much. Though. The other two uh, know a lot more than I do. That's what I do. I talk too much. Well, throw it to uh, throw it to Kevin. What's what's your kind of go-to effective tactics? What are, what do you like to see from lawyers? Yeah, the, most, the most effective tactic is by the time you get to your mediation, you need to have it basically prepared for trial. Number one um, and number two, probably the most important thing for me as a mediator is to make sure you've explained the process realistic expectations and stuff like that to the client. I mean, it's apparent very quickly in a mediation when number one, the lawyer isn't prepared or number two, the client has no idea what we're doing, why we're there or why their case isn't worth a million dollars. You know, that's just having everybody prepared as if it were going to be a trial is exceptionally important to me as a mediator and it keeps the lawyers from getting embarrassed well and let me follow up with with that point about expectations so you got maybe attorneys who think their case is worth a million dollars and it's not even close do you run into that often and how do you combat that or we get expectations in, where they need to be we do run into it often or i do and you know the way you handle it is probably spend more of the time talking to the client a little bit about recognizing the weaknesses in their, you know, in their case that apparently the lawyer hadn't explained to them, you know, and I'm a plaintiff's lawyer. So I always tell a plaintiff that, you know, we start behind the eight ball anyway. Uh, people don't particularly like plaintiffs or plaintiff's lawyers. And I remind the plaintiff that 50% of the people who walk in a courtroom lose. And, you know, that realistically everybody wants a million dollars, but what, you know, but what we're trying to do is figure out what a jury would do with the case. And, and you just kind of rein them in a little bit. And sometimes the lawyers chime in, sometimes they don't. And uh, that's really when, you know, when the mediator has to work, hard, work very hard reining in both sides' expectations. And you know, Your got, Honor, Judge Brogdon, would you, what would you like to add to that, to those points that they've already made? Well, they, they have taken away all my thunder, but, you know, I guess one thing that occurs to me is that this mediation process, if it's successful, it is that client's day in court, and, and it needs to be approached in that fashion so that it, at the end of it, if, if the case is settled, and hopefully it is, then, then they will have they will feel like they have had their day in court. They've had an opportunity to, to say what they wanted to say. And I think that, that leads to a maybe a more satisfied client, plaintiff, whoever it happens to be in the long run because they, they've had their day in court, they've had their say, and felt like they've been doing the process. And beyond that, you know, if I, if I distill and what they have said and, and what I see it as is that what lawyers ought to do is they ought to be prepared, they need to be patient, and they need to be professional. And that's that, of course, that say those three things also apply if you try a case. Uh, that's what you, what lawyers need to be. And, and you hit on a key factor, I think, which is clients want to be heard. And I've seen it on the criminal side as well, when it comes to victims, they just want, it's not, you know, it's always about the money, but besides the money, they, they want someone to say, yes, you're right. You were hurt, but you know, the case isn't worth it. Do you see that often where, where maybe a client just wasn't heard the whole process? I think yes. that's part of it. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, uh, yeah. you know, we see that all the time and they do want to tell you how badly they're hurting and how it's affected their life and all of that. And, and a good mediator will understand it and a good mediator will sit there and talk to them and make it very personal. 
and then to ease into the strengths and weaknesses of their case and getting them more in tune with the fact that money doesn't always equal the injuries. We're trying to evaluate what a jury would do, not what your broken arm is worth in dollars and cents. And, you know, once, once they say their piece and they get that concept, they almost always settle. I mean, it's a great process and the clients leave without feeling like anybody won or lost. I mean, they, they made the decision themselves and that's a much more positive experience than having a jury tell you, you win or you lose. And Yolanda, did you want to add to that? We tell, I always tell the litigants and the attorneys in the very beginning that the great thing about mediation, I think, is that it gives you control. The people who know the very most about the case are in the mediation room. They're in control versus 12 people that you don't know, 12 strangers that you don't know their biases and prejudices. And so it's your, you're in control. And I also encourage the, the litigants to talk or to you know, speak their piece, so to speak. What I find happens sometimes, though, is that lawyers, about the time the plaintiff is going to open their mouth, the lawyer will put their hand on their knee like, oh, no, don't, don't, don't talk. And I know lawyers obviously know their clients better than I do, but I'd like to encourage, you know, having open conversation and giving those folks the ability to have their day in court and to express whatever's going on. It helps the adjuster put a face and a voice and a person with the cold file they've been reading. You know, I, I tell the plaintiff in particular, if you can't convince the person sitting across the table with the checkbook that you're hurt and your case is worth X, Y, and Z, how are you going to, how are you going to convince 12 people? You know, take advantage of it, talk to them. What you, what Yolanda said was, and which I've all kind of mentioned. So at magistrate court, we have mandatory mediation is, it's different, but I would go in beforehand and give a speech. And so, and what I would do, and it's exactly what Yolanda said. I said, this is the last point before it's out of your hands. At this point, you have a decision, but no one leaves a jury trial 100% happy. You know, the juries, you never know what they're going to do. So is there, let's start with Judge Bright. Is there a speech you give or something that you say that kind of brings it home to them, that kind of makes them realize the, the seriousness of it and helps them get to that point? Typically, there is. We'll it, depends on, it, it depends on the, the case itself. But, you know, I try to obviously have to go through all of the requirements associated with mediation and tell them what a mediation is and the confidentiality and all of that. But, but then you, you sort of, I, I try to bring it home to them that uh, this is an opportunity for them to be heard. And that, you know, in addition to trying to talk about uh, the uncertainty and the risk. So, you know, there's risk and uncertainty associated with it. There are costs associated with that. And, and, I, and at some point in the process, because I've experienced this when I was at Santee Cooper, there is a toll that it takes on people to get ready to go to court, an emotional toll, because they have to think about it and as they move <coughs> up to it. So this is a way for them to avoid having the anxiety associated with going to court, again, whether it be before a judge or a jury. And, and most folks don't want to go to court. They come, though they think they want, most of them don't relish the thought that someday they will have to get in front of a judge or get in front of a jury and and testify and answer questions from the other side. And, and, and I try to 
help them understand and think about that because most folks are not experienced litigants. They're not lawyers who look forward to the opportunity of going to the court and, and presenting a case. So I think that's a big piece of it as well. That's right. Well, and and Kevin or Yolanda, is there anything that y'all, any speech you give that you notice has a good impact to move people off their, off their stance? You mean at the beginning of the at conference? At the beginning. Yeah. I, I tell them about the unpredictability of what a judge would do in family court, the unpredictability about what a jury would do in common pleas. And, and you know, I tell them that, and I'm embarrassed to say, but I'm starting my 39th year, but I'll tell them that in, all, in my career, I have thought I had some slam dunks that I absolutely can't lose. And I do. I and mean, there have been some cases that I truly thought were not worth it, you know, not worth it, but I got in them and so I'll see them through and you end up winning. And the bottom line is you don't know what a, what a jury's going to. And then it goes into what Yolanda and Jim said and, and you tell them this is your last chance for you to have any input into how this this works out because you may think it's a slam dunk, but it's not. I mean, it, it absolutely is not. And I tell them, the last thing I tell them is a lawyer told me 30 years ago when I had a slam dunk, that lawyer looked at me and says, don't forget this, Kevin. Every, no matter how many times you flip a pancake, it's still got two sides. And then that lawyer took me to the woodshed. <laughs> so I remind the litigants of that. There is no slam dunk in the legal world. And, and just want to ask you guys about the new dynamic of online mediations and where you see that going, hopefully before too long, you know, we get past the COVID business, but I kind of see some of these mediations staying online. What do y'all think? Right now, all the almost all the insurance carriers are saying that they're requiring their folks to still participate virtually. So it's going to be here, I think, for a while. And of course, last March of 2020, when we all had to figure out Zoom and some of us who didn't know what Zoom was before then, it's been a great savior for the mediation business, especially with the court shutdown to you know, allow us to continue to do mediations and encourage settlements because there is no court. But it's been a learning curve for us old folks. Absolutely, it's been, it's been a learning curve. But I'll tell you what I've found, and I, get, you know, I, I hope everybody else has, I have just as much success settling these cases by Zoom as I do um, doing them in person. Uh, the people tend to get down to business a little quicker. They tend to pay attention. They tend to listen a little better because they're not doing 10 other things like an adjuster on a telephone might be. I just find it very effective. I, I, I'll be perfectly happy if we continue to do this on and on. I really like it. Yeah, I like it too. I don't have the depth of experience, but it's you can't get in the room together, which is, I guess, a bummer, but they, they do seem fairly efficient and document sharing and working with clients and especially with you got an adjuster from out of state or wherever it may be, it, it, it does bring people together a lot, a lot more smoothly. Um, when you're in person, lawyers tend to hang out in the hall and drink coffee and shoot the bull and talk about stuff that may or may not be related because you hadn't visited in a while. We don't have any of that in Zoom. It's all business from start to finish and it tends to work out a little quicker, I think. Well, and, 
and again, apologies if I missed it, but have we talked about what not to do in a mediation? Any kind of worst case things that you see that you said, don't, you just cringe or, or just, what, what should yeah. we not do when we get in there? Joe, I, I asked that question. They said you shouldn't have your internet go out and leave <laughs> a podcast or mediation haphazardly. So that was the only, but no, we did not get to that question, but that's a great, great question. And Joe's pretty lucky that Jim Brogdon's such a nice guy that, he didn't put you in jail for interrupting the former judge when he was speaking eloquently. You know, I put my computer on mute when I realized there was problems. So I didn't want to be cursing and have it come on. But then I forgot it's on mute after I run down to the basement of the server room, come back in. Anyways. Yeah, I wasn't crazy. offended. I thought, that was, I, I thought that was a technological hook that you'd, you'd given me when I was talking, Joe. I, I, I didn't take offense to that at all. That's right. That's right. It was all planned out. Yeah. They don't remember the gong show, Jim. They're not that old. <laughs> <laughs> well, well at, to Joe, Joe's question, what are some of the, maybe you see this with younger attorneys. I know Joe and I are still, you know, we're not baby attorneys anymore, but we're a little bit past that. But what do you see maybe younger attorneys' mistakes that they do make that could be, could be avoided? I'd say that not only younger attorneys, but a lot of attorneys make a mistake sometimes by showing too much emotion on the front end and creating an immediate wall between them and the other side. I mean, you know, you need the emotion and a good lawyer is going to defend their client or promote their client however they need to. But I do see that sometimes a mediation will almost break down because one lawyer or the other will say something very derogative about the other side. And yeah, in family court, Kevin can talk a lot more about this. I mean, I think they do it differently and they probably don't, a lot of times don't even put the parties in the same room, but in federal and state court, common pleas, we put the lawyers and everybody in the same room, introduce everybody, give them the ground rules of mediation and that sort of thing. And then when the lawyers speak up, I just don't think it's helpful, especially in the beginning, to start throwing rocks. No, I agree. And it's also not helpful to get there and you picked up your file on the way to the mediation and instead of understanding your case and knowing about it, you're flipping through your file looking for things you're not familiar with the details, you know, and clearly when you're in that situation, you know very well the client is not prepared for the mediation, you know, you have some lawyers that treat it like a discovery tool and that's just, you know, that serves absolutely no purpose whatsoever to spend the first hour exchanging information that should have been exchanged and prepared weeks in advance, which is why we all like pre-mediation briefs because it makes a lawyer look at the case at least a week early. Yeah, I, I think just being not unprepared being prepared, as a lawyer I, 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 is the death nail. No, I, I, that was exactly what I was saying, Kevin. Failing to do those things that we've identified they ought to do before the mediation. And, and I've seen it often where they just aren't prepared. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times they, they, they're just checking a box. And, and it's, you know, it's just a shame that they don't treat it more seriously for their client's benefit, if nothing else, so that if there's a chance that it can be resolved, that, that they taking it seriously and been prepared and can help that client be prepared. Well, and I, I know we're, we're approaching the, our time here. I can't thank you guys enough. Before we go, any anonymous war stories y'all can tell? Any any 
any great scenes of mediation's past that you, you care to relay to our listeners here? I mentioned one, and I tell lawyers all the time, be creative in your settlement. You know, we I handled one where a lady fell and broke her hip at the Darlington Raceway and sued Darlington Raceway and NASCAR and all of that. But the whole day, she spent most of the time complaining about her and her three friends missing the race. The adjuster offered up all she was going to offer, and that wasn't enough. So we suggested, well, listen, she's upset about missing the race. How about NASCAR cough up some tickets? So we ended, the lady ended up getting to pick four races during the year that she and her friends wanted to see, and NASCAR gave her some VIP passes. Oh, that's good. I mean, you, you can do things like that that a jury can't do, and lawyers need to think like that because NASCAR tickets or a slip and fall at the beach, and part of your settlement is you get the penthouse for two weeks every summer in addition to some money. Um, you know, that's really the kind of stuff that makes a really, really big difference and can close the gap and uh, be creative. And it's the thing that makes mediation unique because you can offer those sorts of things that wouldn't be offered by a judge or a jury. Exactly. I bet Jim's got some good stories. I know he does. <laughs> well, most of, my, most of mine go back to my judicial career and, and can't be uh, repeated. I, I, I do use one anecdote that I, I got from an old Florence County plaintiff's lawyer, not Kevin Barnes, but we were about to begin a trial in Florence County and the jury had been selected and had the plaintiff's lawyer, the defense lawyer back in the office and trying to talk to him about settlement. Plaintiff's lawyer made a demand. And so I said, well, you need to go out and told the defense lawyer, you need to go talk to your client, your adjuster, I guess, more than anything else. But so while they were out, I said, now, plaintiff's lawyer, you, you really need to settle this case. And he looked me square in the eye and he said, judge, you know, I've never lost a case I've settled. And he's exactly right. You know, too many times plaintiffs or defendants come to court, come to a mediation thinking that if I don't get exactly what I want, or if I don't prevail, then I've lost this case. And it's not a loss at all. It's a, it's a successful outcome by way of compromise. So I, I, I try to share that with, with the parties at the outset. Sometimes I get a smile and a nod. Sometimes they look at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. That, those are the looks that, that Daniel and I usually get. <laughs> well, again, we want to thank you for being here. And just briefly, let's, the dispute resolution uh, section with the Bar Mediation Week, why don't y'all just briefly talk, tell us about that and what y'all do and, and how y'all help the ADR section throughout the state? I think Jim's probably the head of this committee, so I'll defer to his honor. Well, be careful about that, Kevin, because I can assign it to you. You know, what we're trying to do is do a better job of, of, of informing the public and the lawyers, but, but primarily the public about the benefits of mediation. Now, I've only been on the council now two or three years. Kevin certainly been longer there than I have, but, but we promote dispute resolution, have an annual seminar at the annual meeting of the bar and then have some what I would call lunch and learn short seminars during the course of the year. Again, trying to address topics that are timely, might be technology and mediations. I know that one thing that we're addressing recently is, is bias in mediations and trying to eliminate that bias uh, in the mediator and in the attorneys as well. So, you know, it's uh, 
it's not something that that, that is uh, changeless. It changes all the time. We learn new things, and through programs like this and the, uh, the programs of, of the bar and the dispute resolution council, folks can keep up with those changes. And so that's our goal: is to make sure that that folks who are out there either as mediators or who are as lawyers appearing before mediators, that they have, they're up to date with, with the latest and greatest concepts and ideas as it relates to presenting a good mediation case. Yolanda, go ahead. For all the lawyers who join the dispute resolution section, I think we've offered like every other month, a free CLE to do with mediation or even broader topics. And that's something new. It's all on Zoom. It's been made available, I guess, since the pandemic started. It's been a good, it's been a good program. Well, well, overall, I mean, it's, it's, I know just the bar in general has great committees and this sounds like an excellent committee to get involved, not only to get your CLE to learn, but to meet mediators who've done it before, who've had the experience and who have the insights about how to have a a good mediation, get those settlements. And as Judge Brogdon said, you know, you, you never lose a case that you settle, which is a great point. And I think people should always be aware of that because it helps relieve stress and make clients happy. So, which is what we're all trying to aim for at this point. So I just want to thank you all again for uh, coming on the podcast today. Uh, we're going to link to all your bios and to the dispute resolution section and the mediation week in October. So we thank you again, and we look forward to seeing you all maybe on the, the pod, maybe again at some point in the future. Or in thank mediation. You. Thank you all so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate thank it. you. Thank you.